our beer of the week this week is Sam Adams. Got a case over the weekend and just finishing it up now. It's a good beer to drink while we rant about the Panthers again. I mean, we are back on the East Coast for this week's game. I'm Steven, your host, joined by my co-host, Jacob LaCroix. Here on Perfect Takes, we're going to break down, obviously, the disappointing loss against the Seahawks, talk about some things around the NFL, and preview the upcoming game versus the Minnesota Vikings. So we'll kick it off. I know you have a lot to say about Frank Reich and this coaching staff's job so far. Frank Reich, how are you going to say that 58 pass attempts isn't the method to win in Seattle when you're the one calling the plays, man? Like, I know the run game isn't the best, like it wasn't going the best, but you got to call more creative runs. We talked about that last week. And then having Andy Dalton, who's at the ripe age of 35, as your backup QB come in and throw 58 times on the road, that's just kind of crazy. Like, I, I don't know what to say anymore. We, we went into detail about kind of what we thought would be like good to see last week, and none of it materialized against a pretty banged up and just overall bad Seattle defense. Like, this was the chance to get right. And uh, I don't think we got right at all. And that the offense didn't magically get any better going to Andy Dalton. So it's just another disappointing game. Absolutely. And I remember, I wish I could credit the account I saw it. But it was a Panthers account. And they, they kind of took a picture after it was the week one loss versus Atlanta. And it highlighted the fact that in Reich's first year with Indianapolis, with Andrew Luck as his starting quarterback back in 2018, they started one in five that year. Ron Rivera, his first year back in 2011, we started one and five that year. And it was strong finishes in both cases. Rivera's squad only went six and 10. Reich's squad actually went 10 and six, made the playoffs that year. I don't think that should be the expectation for this squad based on what we've seen through three games. But it's one of those things that, yes, it does not look pretty right now. We knew when we looked at the schedule like about a month or two ago that it was a rough slate to start the year. And it's one of those things that there, there's going to be some growing pains. Now, what I do hope is exactly like you said, you called out Frank Reich. He talks about 58 pass attempts not being a way to win, and it's you're the play caller. So I think that's where some of the shift's going to be probably around the bye week. Thomas Brown kicks it off as the offensive coordinator, and we're going to need that because he was he was a big part of the explosive plays that we saw on Sunday. Yeah, uh, let me throw some more stats at you. Tied for the fifth lowest rush attempts in a game in franchise history. Only 14 rush attempts. And I think out of that, 12 were Miles Sanders and one was, or no, two were Chuba Hubbard. Uh, third most pass attempts in franchise history with 58. The Panthers are 0-11 in all 11 games where the QBs attempted 50 or more passes. And this is our first 0-3 start since 2010. And I don't want to like compare this team to the 2010 team because that was just the dark ages, but... Our offense is not looking good, and their offense didn't look too good either. Absolutely, and it kind of it kind of stinks. We have a lot of injuries over the first couple of weeks. Offense, defense, uh, and I mean C.J. Henderson. He's he's a guy that I didn't really want to see the field at the start of the season, and he's already banged up with an ankle. We have Xavier Woods with a hamstring injury. Frankie Louvu isn't looking great, and I know this is the offensive side of the ball, but Mingo ends up with a concussion, so it's just already thin areas on this team, like what we talked about in our preseason kind of addition. 
the secondary, we needed those guys to stay healthy. And we already have Xavier Woods and Hornow. And so that puts more pressure on Jeremy Chin and CJ Henderson to make plays. And those aren't guys you want to see in coverage. I mean, uh, Jeremy Chin had a missed open field tackle versus Kenneth Walker on a huge drive, pivotal drive in the second half. And then he was the defender on that Tyler Lockett two-point conversion. I understand the game was kind of over by then, but it's stuff like that, that that's not Chin's role. He needs to be a guy that's running downhill, making plays. And it was, that's not how he can play in this defense with the way injuries are going. Yeah, I agree. I actually thought uh, Henderson had a decent game uh, against DK Metcalf. Granted, DK was also banged up, but I thought he played pretty good coverage before he went out of the game. Uh, yeah, just piling injuries on, mainly on defense, but Mingo getting concussed isn't great either. And then you compound that with a lot of things that uh, we, ha- we have this all-star coaching staff, right? So you think that all mm-hmm. the procedural stuff would be easy, but man, it was rough. Eight false starts, eight, two from Taylor Moten, who's like a consummate pro. Uh, one from, I think it was Throckmorton. One was on a punt, so that's whatever. But then four from Ike Aquanu. Like, to me, that's just unacceptable. Reich said it in his presser that uh, all these penalties are unacceptable. He even said pathetic, which is kind of uh, visceral. But he's right. Like, uh, you can't be having this many penalties. And Ike, I know two of them were in a row on third down. It took us yep. from a third and 10 to a third and 20. And, like, He's, he isn't having the greatest year. I, I hope he's not falling into a sophomore slump. Sometimes it takes uh, offensive tackles a couple years to get good. It looks like Evan Neal is trending up in like for the Giants. He looked pretty good against Nick Bosa this past week. So hopefully Icky can kind of bounce back and uh, just really get his game together. And Because he's a really good run blocker, but I, he just needs to get better in pass pro. Hope maybe we can call more run plays to his side to kind of, like you were saying before we were recording, juice him up, get him going. So he's going to be in a good state of mind for the pass blocking plays. Well, I mean, John Ellis earlier the day, he broke down kind of like the efficiency from running to the left side to the right side. And we've done about the same amount both sides. And yet we've been more productive running to the left side. Why? Because Icky is absolutely disgusting in the run game. Like this is a guy that can maul and get to the second level. And that's, that's what we need to do. We need to build confidence around some of these younger players. We talked about it last week with Mingo, like, Hey, get him the ball in space. Like that's, that's, part of what these coaches need to do is let these playmakers do what they do best. And that's why the keys honestly need to be handed over to Thomas Brown sooner rather than later, because he was a big part of that DJ Chark touchdown. They were seeing something that was going on in the Seahawks secondary. And they said, Hey, we can scheme something to where we take advantage of a couple miscues back there. And they had a bunch of injuries in their secondary as well. And sure enough, we hit DJ Shark for like a 50-yard touchdown. So it's stuff like that where it's like the creativity and actually taking advantage of different things and making sure our guys are making the plays they need to on the field, that's going to come from Thomas Brown. Because right now, Frank Reich, it's archaic. There's there's very little creativity. And we're dropping back the pass 58 times and not even running the ball. Like, I would prefer Steve Wilkes' strategy over this. Like, this is just – it's, it's absurd. It really is. And it's – like – the word he used to describe kind of the O-line and the mistakes and the pre-snap penalties, that's that's how I would describe him. Pathetic. Like, that, that is what it is right now. It's 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 pathetic. Yeah, I hate to beat the drum from last week, too, uh, when we talked about 12 personnel. But I believe you tweeted it out after the game uh, that we're, we're, what, like 
five plays and 12 personnel this season or something like that. Something like incredibly. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's like 5% of our plays or something. Something incredibly low. And again, we talked about this last week. This is a guy that has valued the tight end position over the years. So why are we not using it? Look at what CJ Stroud is doing. Granted, I, I think we can agree he's been the best of the rookie QBs so far, no matter like what our opinions are. But they're also giving him six, seven, eight-man protections on a lot of plays, giving him time to throw to hit his open receivers. We didn't see any of that with Bryce. It was just throwing him to the wolves. And then we didn't see any of that with Andy Dalton either. You don't, I mean, you're having your 35-year-old backup out there just in five-man protection. Like, and our, our passive blocking isn't great right now. Like, just scheme something up to help the QBs, help the receivers. It's just, there. I think there needs to be a change pretty soon. I don't want to overreact, but, like, give Thomas Brown some more influence in the, the like, the playlist, the play sheet, whatever. Well, here, here's like, the thing. If you don't you don't trust Tommy Tremble and Ian Thomas as pass catchers, that's fine. Right. Hayden Hurst can be the pass catcher and the tight end. But do what the Seahawks have done the past two weeks. They'll go in 12 and 13 personnel, and we got gutted on one of the last drives in the fourth quarter just by their tight ends. It was like Parkinson, and then it was Noah Fan, and then before you know it, Charbonnet has like two 10-plus yard runs, and they're at the goal line. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's absolutely mind boggling that we can't do some of those same things because we have four tight ends on the roster running exactly like you said, it was a great point by Brett Coleman. CJ Stroud has had so many six, seven, eight man protections and it makes sense. Their offensive line's been banged up to start the year, but we know our offensive line has not been good to start the year. So help it out, like make life easier on yourself. And like we talk about these things in retrospect, but these are things you got to catch in mid game. Like you, you are professionals. When you, you see something's not working, make the adjustment. This is something that we hated about the Rivera era. We would have a great game plan coming in after the first half, we, like we were lost. And that's how teams would come back and, and beat us. And that that was a frustrating part about that era. But it's like, we don't even have a good game plan to start start the game. Yeah, hopefully uh, for this upcoming week, be it Bryce or Andy Dalton, they give him some extra protection because you know Brian Flores is going to bring the heat. He's a, he's a, a very good blitzer. But uh, maybe move on to maybe a positive note on the game. My player of the game personally was Adam Thielen. Uh, he got to play against a zone defense last week because of all the injuries they were dealing with. And he kind of carved him up. He had, I believe it was 11 catches over 100 yards, a touchdown. He was showing that he still has a little bit receptions. of juice left. I'm sorry? 11, tar- 11 targets, four receptions, but you're good. Yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, 11 targets. Yeah, my fault. But he was oh, still good. showing that he can uh, he can carve a little bit. He can do a little bit of things if he gets a little bit of space. And I think it was a good showing for him this week uh, against the Seahawks. Hopefully he can replicate that versus his former team, which he uh, he kind of called as a playoff game. I don't know if he knew that both teams were oh. 0-3, but he said it's going to feel like a playoff game. Hopefully we have some playoff intensity and don't commit all those penalties. But uh, I don't know about that one, Adam. Well, that, that was his point. He knew both teams were on three. That's why he said, oh, it's amplified to be like a playoff game because like if you lose this game, your, your season's pretty much done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, like not to be that guy, but the Panthers are not looking like the team this year. Like it looks like this is this is a figure it out season, which is fine. First year with the coaching staff. Um, my player of the game, and you kind of alluded to it, I like DJ Chark. I felt like Adam Thielen had a lot of uh, points towards the end in garbage time in terms of yards, receptions, and the last touchdown. Chark, it was he had the one catch down the sideline uh, that I spurned on a drive that we got close to, I think, field goal range. And then he obviously had the big touchdown. So it was just he was a big play waiting to happen. 
And that's what we need. We need some juice. And that's what we talked about kind of we were missing in week one and two. So if Chark stays healthy, uh, Mingo comes back from his concussion, you get those guys out in space. I think that's going to be phenomenal. And like what you're saying, Thielen as player of the game, he's a reliable target, just like Hayden Hurst. And you need those guys in your offense. So definitely a little bit of silver lining, but a lot to work on. Absolutely. Quick correction. It was 11 receptions, 145 yards and a touchdown. Just looked it up for Thielen. Oh, I thought you were yeah. talking about DJ Chark's line. Yeah, that was like oh, four no. receptions, 82 yards and like a touchdown. My bad. I apologize. No. Yeah, we're good there. Uh, good game for both receivers. Hopefully we can uh, build on that for next week. Uh, and then let's move to like around the NFL, like NFL as a whole. I went on this rant last week about too many games in the early window, and I'm going to do it again. Uh, there are nine early window games, uh, 10 if you count the London game, to just three afternoon slash middle window games. Uh, like, come on, just even it up a little bit more. Like, a game that's in Houston is a one o'clock game, and we know that they're central, so they could have moved that to the four o'clock, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I think it comes down to they're they're slotted as primetime games. You only have a handful of four o'clock games. You have the one Sunday night game. And the one thing I have like two two weeks in, I think it switches, I think, the rest of the way, is the fact that we've had like two Monday night games. Having a game that starts at seven and then a game that starts at like eight fifteen, it's perfect because it's like you can watch the first half of one game by nine. And for me, I'm I I go to bed super early. So it's like perfect for me. I can get first half of football and then catch the highlights in the morning. So that's that's a nice change up I've seen. But the one thing that we do need to talk about, and it's it was phenomenal watch. I, I kept seeing the points go up and I was like, oh, are they are they gonna get past this? Oh, they they went over 50. They went over. Sure enough, the Miami Dolphins hung 70 points on the Denver Broncos. Now, I think there was some personal vendetta across that entire coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Mike McDaniel, ball boy for the Denver Broncos under Mike Shanahan. Didn't even get an interview when he was hired with the Miami Dolphins. So a little bit of shade. Then you have Vic Fangio, who was the head coach there for a couple of years before he got fired. So little vendetta there. And then Tua, a comment that Sean Payton made last year was he wouldn't be surprised if Teddy Bridgewater became the starter. I, I personally, I think players listen to some of that stuff and Tua wanted to make that defense suffer. And that's what he did. He put them in hell all day. Like some of the the passes he was making, like looking off linebackers and still ripping uh, these balls to the middle of the field. It was, it was crazy to watch and a lot of fun. Like, honest to goodness, it was, it was kind of cool to see just the, the dismantling of this Broncos defense that was so good last year. Yeah. Sean Payton, what happened? Like, how are you going to say all that stuff and then let this happen to you? I know you're not calling the defenses, but you cannot allow somebody to come and hang 70 points on you. That's just unacceptable. This was the first game ever to have a team with 350 or more rushing yards and 350 or more passing yards, making history. This is the first 70-point game we've ever seen. I think uh, the only other 70-point game was in the 60s. So uh, modern history. And they scored all of this with like 10 minutes left in the fourth, too. They could Mm -hmm. have run up the score, but they they were nice about it. I know that was a big talking point after the game. But Tua was excellent. The run game was excellent. Both uh, Moster and rookie Devon A-Chain had four touchdowns apiece. Some, I mean, some were rushing, some were receiving, but still just excellent all around. And Mike McDaniel, I think this kind of reaffirms what we've been talking about. He's the best play caller in the league, maybe the best coach in the league right now. He's just, he's just excellent all around. Incredible game to watch. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a classic. 
if he's not the front runner right now for coach of the year, there's something wrong with the voting system because this is mm-hmm. this is back to back years. And I understand defenses are going to make adjustments. We've seen it. Uh, ben Baldwin has a great graph with Sean McVay's offenses of how like usually the efficiency starts really, really high to start the year and it kind of tapers because defenses make adjustments. We could see that. Um, I, I don't think Mike McDaniel's offense would have slowed as much had Tua been healthy. And the way he has Tua operating as quickly as he has him operating, I, it's going to be hard for me to see him get injured because I thought that was his issue last year was he'd hold on to the ball too long and take hits he didn't need to take. And he's not doing that this year. So it's one of those things that like where we talked about them when we did our a- AFC East preview as like kind of that sneaky like playoff contender, contender in the AFC. They're they're making their claim and they're they're making it very distinct right now uh, three weeks in. Absolutely. They have a big test next week uh, at Buffalo against the Bills. But so far, they've aced all the tests they've been faced with. They beat the Chargers high-powered offense. I mean, you, there's nothing more to say about what they did last week. They go in, I think it was in New England, right, and beat uh, Belichick there, uh, beat their three-high safety with just the run game. McDaniel, I think, is ready for anything. And so it's going to be interesting to see next week and how it turns out. Absolutely. Now, we have been talking about a lot of offense, but there were a few performances last week that I think we should highlight on the defensive side. And they came from AFC teams. The Bills uh, absolutely demolished the Washington Commanders uh, from a turnover standpoint, from a sack standpoint, from points allowed standpoint. I think they scored a touchdown. Like, they, they just lit them up. The Steelers did their thing in Las Vegas. Um, I know we were split on that game, and it was kind of iffy, but again – the Steelers defensive line, I think against the Raiders offensive line was going to be a mismatch and they invest so much on the defensive side that this should have been expected. Um, and likewise, the Browns team that has invested so much on the defensive side, it is paying all the dividends in the world. If there's a team that's going to make a run like the 2015 Broncos where they're hampered by offensive play and they make a Super Bowl push, it's this team because it is just so good top to bottom. We talked about this defensive line probably being the best in the NFL when we broke down the AFC North. It's they're, they're impressive. I, I, I can't really spot a weakness on this defense. Yeah, you said it. I mean, the Bills, like the Bills performance on defense was crazy. I think it was five turnovers. We'll talk about that more later in the uh, the best performances part. But yeah, the Steelers did their thing. Uh, they beat Las Vegas. I had Vegas winning that one, but clearly you got that one right. It did come down to a one score game and Josh McDaniels decided to kick a field goal instead of trying to get a touchdown right after they got a touchdown and got a two-point conversion. But uh, that that's neither here nor there. But then, like you said, the Browns on fire, and uh, their coordinator on that side of the ball has them cooking too. We'll talk about him a bit more later. Absolutely. Uh, that's That'll be part of the coaching section. Now, we've talked about dominant performances. We're going to have to talk about the worst of the worst. What is interesting is across the NFL, there's only four teams without a win. And they all play each other this coming week. You have Denver at Chicago and you have Minnesota at Carolina. And I would, if, if I were to put money on it right now, I would choose both the away teams to win those games. I think uh, after the shellacking, the Broncos, it's, it's a wake up call and the bears are right now. Just, uh, you want to talk about like a dumpster fire. I understand getting 70 points hung on you is a lot, but what is going on with the bears franchise is just complete. Just, I, I, I don't even know what to call it. Like it is dysfunctional. Like Fields cannot read a defense within Luke Getz's system. That defense can't stop anybody. And if you're dysfunctional on offense and defense, like that falls on the coach. Like Matt Eberflus is going to have to be held accountable sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, and this was supposed to be a year in which they take a big leap, right? They get they get the receiver for their third year QB. Uh, they invest heavily on defense, uh, both free agency and in the draft, and then and then they draft a uh, an offensive lineman in the top ten. It's just a lot of things that were supposed to go well for them haven't been going well, and hopefully they're able to turn it around against an equally I wouldn't say equally dysfunctional because there's nobody more dysfunctional than the Bears right now. But after getting 70 points hung on you, something's got to change. I'm surprised there weren't any uh, dismissals after that, maybe like position coaches or something. But uh, that'll be an interesting game for sure. And then we'll talk about our game a bit more later uh, with the Vikings coming to town. But that's going to be an interesting one as well. I think the Vikings passing attack is going to kind of dice up our injured defense. For which team's in the worst spot out of these four teams, it's got to be the Bears, right? After everything that they invested this offseason to come out this flat and uh, just not look good anywhere and then have kind of the organizational dysfunction happening as well, I think it's got to be the Bears. We we ripped the Bears a lot last week um, for obvious reasons. And I, I posted a chart when we did the NFC North because exactly what you said. Justin Fields going into year three. He's got a wide receiver one. He's going to take off. What what did we look at when we did that episode? He had lower EPA in terms of a percentile score in year one and two than Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts said he was getting compared to. And Tua. We even and had Tua, Tua on yeah. that list. We, we, we can put Tua on there. And then DJ Moore did not score as high from like an ESPN, like wide receiver metric from an open standpoint, from a catch standpoint, from a yak standpoint. He did not score as high as Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown, or even Tyreek Hill. And so when you don't actually add a true elite wide receiver and you do not have a quarterback that is really just a wide receiver away, like a Trevor Lawrence, that's that's where the disconnect came from. And now it, it's ripping apart at the seams. They had no edge presence. We talked about that on the episode. They can't get after the quarterback. And like what you were highlighting last week, their secondary isn't holding up either. So it's just, it's a lot of dysfunction. They are looking like the three and 14 team last year and they look worse. So I, I agree with you. They do look like they're probably in the worst spot middle of the season, but there is a silver lining. Currently they do hold the first and second overall picks in the draft because well, both us and the bears are winless on tankathon. It's first and fourth. They have okay. us at fourth for some reason, but I mean, after this week, they could very well have the first and second. So that is the silver lining for them. And maybe they can get their next QB in the, uh, the, historic Chicago Bears QB list. Hopefully that'll be the one. So we did have, so we talked about dominant performances. We talked about the worst of the worst. We did have a couple down of the wire finishes and it was pretty great during the witching hour on red zone to kind of see all of these kind of get flipped back and forth. You had Minnesota uh, Vikings and the Los Angeles Chargers uh, pretty much going down to the last play. You had what should have been an interception from Justin Herbert, just a rare miscue from him on the game winning touchdown got lucky, and then Cousins drives down, fails the first time at the red zone. Then Herbert uh, and the offense stall, uh, give Cousins another opportunity, failed again. Uh, and that's nothing against Cousins. Uh, it's just more one of those things that, like, it was it was fun to see it go down to the wire, and it was, it was a cool nail-biter. Um, another one that went down to the wire, the Packers and Saints. Carr goes down with an AC, kind of, I think, sprain. And he's kind of day-to-day, week-to-week at this point. Um, after he went out, Jameis really didn't do anything. So if Jameis Winston's the starter moving forward, they play the Bucks next week. I, I would say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are favored. I think they will put Jameis Winston in absolute hell. 
And I think Baker would do enough to win the game in that instance because the Saints defense, it's good. Um, I don't know if it's good enough to just dominate a game completely. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that there. Uh, both of these games were super fun to watch. These were actually two games that you and I had different. So it was uh, it was kind of rough for me for both of these games to end on the last play to decide those two games. They were fun to watch as a whole, especially Minnesota and the Chargers, just two high-octane offenses. For whatever reason, Minnesota wanted to establish the run for, I, I don't even know. They should have just diced them up. But uh, really fun game there. Herbert, great game. Uh, he's still the only QB without a turnover, so he's playing lights out this year. Kirk Cousins, another really good game. The interception at the end was tipped twice before it was picked, so I'm not really going to put that on them on him. Just two good QBs and two good passing attacks, battling it out there. Green Bay and New Orleans was interesting. New Orleans was up 17 to nothing, I believe, going into the fourth, and Jordan Love engineered a pretty good comeback. But the Saints did have a chance at the end. They just missed that field goal. And Matt like you're saying, LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, he had, I think it was assistant like quarterbacks coach in his ear. Go for two, go for two, go for two, because they could have made a 10 to 17 game before they would eventually score the game winning touchdown. And what does he do? They go for two. They set themselves up. They take the lead. And like you said, Saints obviously had the opportunity to take the lead right there at the end. But mm -hmm. some of these analytical approaches throughout a game going for two, going forward on fourth down, it does pay off in the end. And that's exactly what we saw here. So I think that that was cool. That was a side note I wanted to make. Our yeah, we, other... called, we called that one in real time, I believe, when the score went to 17-11 after they got that two-point conversion. I think uh, yep. we were talking about that, uh, saying like that's a perfect example of the two-point try analytics kind of discourse there. And then we got a nail-biter with the Indianapolis Colts at the Baltimore Ravens. This was one that, first off, the Ravens, I think, were favored by a touchdown or more. They're playing a backup quarterback, and they just choked the game away. And it's it's one of those things that, that falls on, like, coaching, miscommunications, stuff like that. And it's, it's starting the paint of light that is this Todd Monken offense really an upgrade to what Greg Roman had. Obviously, it's safer for Lamar in terms of his health, but it's not nearly pumping out the efficiency that we would have expected with this unit. Now, the Colts are a really good defense, but it's one of those things that kind of monitor as we go along. Yeah, what, uh, what impressed me about this game is that obviously the Colts didn't put up a ton of numbers, but Steichen tailored the game for Minshew for it to be effective, and it was effective. They forced him to overtime. I believe it was the Colts that got the ball first in overtime. They didn't score. Baltimore didn't score. Back to the Colts. They didn't score again. Baltimore didn't score again. And finally, on the fifth possession of overtime, we get a field goal and Indianapolis wins. So just another game that's going down to the very last play, a true nail biter. We rarely see overtime go like that in depth without a tie. So that was cool to see. Uh, I, I hate ties. So that's a side note. There should be no <laughs> ties in professional sports, but it's neither here nor there. Uh, just great games all around. And I think that was one of the surprising upsets of the week. Like you said, I think they were favored by eight and a half Baltimore because I, bl I believe this was in Baltimore. Yeah, no, it was um, it was over a touchdown. I think it was yeah. around that eight and a half uh, standpoint. They were one of your uh, picks to, I think, cover right this past week. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I believe I said Baltimore covers. Obviously, I don't know how to bet. But um, yeah, that was a surprising upset there. We had a couple more of those as well. Houston just dominated Jacksonville. I don't think any of us saw that coming on offense. Houston was moving the ball on defense. They were stymieing 
what Jacksonville was trying to do. And then on special teams, they made some plays. I know the the fullback returned a kick for a touchdown after kind of a, a botched, uh, what's it like reception or catching the kickoff. He botched it, but then picked it up and ran it in. It kind of reminded me of the squib kick. I don't know if you remember the Packers Patriots game like a decade ago. Um, and it was it was the one Patriots lineman who like returned it inside the tent. Oh. Off yeah, that yeah, kick. I, yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking it, about. It yeah. was just like a big man rumbling because I remember watching the fullback. I'm like, this man doesn't have the speed to close. And I, I think he broke like a tackle or so, got it to the outside. And that was it. He he had it. So very, you like you said, one on all three levels. Uh, D'Amico Ryans is doing a great job. Um, I appreciate what Bobby Slowick is doing for that offense. That was one thing that we talked about when we talked about Stroud and his development. Can he have easy buttons on that offense? And with Nico Collins, Tank Dell, some of the guys that they have there, they're giving those easy buttons for him to just go out and be the playmaker he is, be an accurate thrower, not have to make all these decisions. And that's that's what I wanted Frank Reich and this staff to do for Bryce, but obviously that yeah. hasn't happened. And then um, giving giving Stroud the big protections too for him yep. to make those plays. So yeah, like absolutely. It's, the, the, it's right there. Like just do this for the Panthers, but whatever. Arizona, they've been a stingy team all year. They they hadn't won up until this point, but Cowboys out three of their starting offensive linemen with Tyrone Smith, Zach Martin, Tyron Steele. And it kind of changed. Mike McCarthy came out and said it changed kind of how they called the game. Uh, they were ineffective in the red zone, and it, it bit them in the butt. They had three goal-to-go situations, I think, back-to-back-to-back, and it ended in a field goal, uh, turnover on downs, and a interception. So when you can't capitalize after moving the ball, uh, especially into enemy territory, it's one of those things that's that's probably going to mean uh, you, you put an L in the the win loss column, and that's yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah, Arizona's been feisty all year. We saw it week one against Washington. We saw it last week when they were up what twenty eight to seven in the third against the Giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. they played them tough Before there, that and then huge comeback. Yeah, yeah, and then they finally get their win here against Dallas. You know what these three upset teams have in common? Houston, Arizona, Indianapolis? No. All oh. new head coaches, right? Yep, that's right. But yep. And all of these coaches are first-time head coaches. They've got their teams playing hard, playing well, playing together. And the two retread coaches, being Frank Reich and Sean Payton, aren't on the same page. They both host teams that are 0-3, whereas these three teams, which we all thought would be pretty bad, I think uh, both of us had these three teams picking within the top five, top six, they have their teams out the gate fighting hard. So that's just yeah. an interesting note to uh, to look at with these new head coaches, seeing their approach versus coaches that have been successful in their own right before, but not with their new teams. Indianapolis at two and one leads the AFC South and they, they have a decent slate, like an easy slate coming up. So it's one of those things that they could start pulling away. And if Anthony Richardson gets healthy, the way Shane Steichen's calling the offense, the way Gus Bradley has the defense playing, this could be a feisty team. And like you said, all these first time head coaches, they have their teams playing hard and that's what you want to see. Now we did have a couple bad quarterback performances, uh, kind of all around last night on Monday night football. Um, I know from what you saw, Stafford wasn't reading the field well. He had two bad picks. Uh, Burrow with his calf injury still looked a little hobbled. Hurts, I think he was down with the flu or something. He didn't look right on the sidelines just from like a facial standpoint, but he didn't look great in the pocket. He looked indecisive, uh, wasn't making the throws. 
um, accurately. I know there were a couple of miscommunications. There was one to Dallas Goddard out where it looked like he missed them, but from uh, the way Nate, uh, Nate Tice and I think even the broadcast talked is he expected Goddard to be more out in the uh, flat rather than uh, cutting up the field. Um, so just, just a lot of miscommunication. And then Baker, uh, we all know it as Panther fans. He's going to Baker at some point. Uh, he had a bad pick, um, took a couple bad sacks, uh, more just negative plays, not a lot of explosive plays. And and we're used to that at this point. And I think that's to be expected with this Bucks team. Their defense is going to keep them in games, and it's just up to Baker to minimize those mistakes. Yeah, this was a bad matchup, particularly for Baker. The Eagles D-line gets a lot of interior pressure, and the Bucks' interior offensive line is just bad. And when Baker gets pressured, he makes mistakes. He was missing throws all night. Uh, well, his receivers didn't help him out a ton. I know Mike Evans had a couple drops. They did bail him out in some ends. Uh, Evans had that incredible catch over the middle of the field. The one-hander? Uh, yeah, that was – Yeah, and then, where he, he, was and like, that. he was like falling on the defender for like five seconds in midair. It's kind of – that was nutty. Like you said, Hurts, I saw a tweet saying he did have an illness during the game. And like you said, he just didn't look like himself. So he just wasn't in the right mind there, maybe. Burrow is still very clearly injured. He's just – he can't really move off that foot. He's sailing passes, stuff like that. It was good that they were able to get him and Jamar Chase finally uh, aligned. But uh, just not a great game from him, even though they got the win. And then Stafford, I don't know what was going on there. There were some pressures he didn't see. And then on the two interceptions, one which I don't think should have been a pick, but they the call stood on the field. The interceptions, he was trying to do these like cute throws. It's like he was doing a sidearm throw. He was doing like a no-look throw, but both of them were picked. I don't know if he can get away with some of that stuff without having like a generational year from Cooper Cup. He's just making dumb mistakes that he really shouldn't have made. Both of those picks, by the way, were Logan Wilson, the middle linebacker who I believe was on my X-Factor for the Bengals this year. So he's yeah, it was either him start. or Jermaine Pratt. Yeah, yeah. You had one of the linebackers, and yeah, he stepped up big. And it's one of those things, exactly. You can't you can't be doing no-look passes with Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. Like, yeah. they have been serviceable and whatnot, but these aren't generational talents. There's a reason why they were later-round picks. They're serviceable. They play their roles well. But until you get Cooper Cup back in the lineup, until you get somebody with more explosion, it's hard to trust some of those, like, no-look passes. Because, like, what he did in the Super Bowl, what he's known for, that, that no-look pass, it's – he, he knew where Cooper Cup was going to be, and Cooper Cup knew where the ball was going to be. And that's being in, in sync, being on the same page, that's going to help you a lot. And you, you just can't rely on some of these younger guys uh, this early on. Absolutely. Now, guys that we want to talk about, um, I do have a coach play caller ranking. It's uh, definitely gotten a lot of buzz, not necessarily in the, the best light, but it has gotten a lot of buzz. I think guys that should be recognized just from looking at the model and then looking at what's happened on the field. And Mike McDaniel, obviously, we talked about him. He he should be the front runner for coach of the year. The way he's got the offense humming, it's 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 insane. And it'll be interesting to see how the Bills defense kind of defends Tyree Kill and kind of the playmakers they have on offense. Jim Schwartz, I thought he was a upgrade to Joe Woods uh, this past year, and he has stepped in and had this defense clicking. I they they are firing on all cylinders. And it, it's a fun group to watch. And then another guy that's under the radar. And I know Bills fans probably would disagree with this uh, from some of last year's play calling. But I think Ken Dorsey is one of those guys that is extremely underrated. I think he he schemes up some great play concepts that work with Josh Allen and some of the skills that they have on the field and on this roster. So um, those are guys that I think 
deserve a lot of recognition? Do you agree? Have any takes? Uh, absolutely. Like Mike McDaniel, best in the league right now. Jim Schwartz, I think we both agreed, was an upgrade there to really help a really good on-paper defense take the next step, and they've clearly done that. And then Ken Dorsey, like you were saying, Bills fans may not be like he might may not be their favorite coach just because uh, last year it looked like Josh Allen took a step back when in reality he was just playing injured and making Josh Allen mistakes, which he does. That's just something he does. But uh, he's called a good system for him this year. And I think that they're going to take off with uh, Osiris Torrance helping guard on the O-line and Dalton Kincaid kind of playing that Darren Waller receiver tight end role. Absolutely. He's been getting a lot of targets. And I'm sure as the season goes on, we're going to hear more and more of uh, Dalton Kincaid. The coaches that should be on the hot seat three weeks in, Matt Eberflus, obviously, with the Chicago Bears, uh, a franchise that's in completely uh, – dysfunction, disrepair, uh, whatever word you want to use. It's just not going well in Chicago right now. And I know Bears fans aren't happy, but uh, you got some great quarterback prospects next year to replace Fields. You do have some good pieces on that team that keep building. Um, I would just, if I was the general manager, Ryan Poles, or the owner, I would start questioning if Ever Flus is the guy to kind of lead you into that next movement. Um, Vance Joseph, obviously you allow 70 points on defense. I thought he was a major downgrade to Evero. That was kind of the flip side. Sean Payton, I think, was an upgrade to Hackett, and I think a lot of the mm -hmm. stats point towards that. The offense is efficient. It's a huge success rate on offense compared to what it was last year, but on defense, it's it's horrendous. And it, that was more, I think, a lot of the questions is if Sean Payton had brought a better defensive coordinator with him to Denver, we might be talking about this team in a different light. Maybe they pull off the game versus the Raiders. Maybe they don't get blown out of the gate by the Dolphins, and they look more like a competitive team rather than what we've seen so far. Absolutely. Uh, for me, obviously, Vance Joseph's the one that caused the defenses, but as a head coach, you have to have your players ready more than what happened on Sunday. And just 70 points is just crazy. But it I, it is hard to fire a guy or to put somebody on the hot seat that you traded a first and second round pick for. So I get that with Sean Payton. But I something just has to uh, – there has to be a hot seat there. The fire has to be lit underneath him there because 70 points. Again, I know I'm harping on this point, but 70 points is crazy. We have never seen that before. And they scored 20 points too. So it wasn't like they didn't score at all but they still lost by 50. That's just insane. Yep. No, the point differential. I mean, we talk about the Cowboys blowing out the Giants, mm -hmm. and that was a 40-point differential. 40 we talked about nothing. this. Earlier. We yeah. talked about that. And the, the point differential in that Dolphins game was still higher, which is wild. It's just wild to kind of wrap your mind around. I, I think another guy that needs to be on the hot seat, especially with how slow the Jags have been out of the gate, is Doug Peterson. Like, you're supposed to have all, all the pieces on offense. Like your offensive line is a little banged up. Cam Robinson, obviously out with a suspension. That'll shake some things out once he comes back. But you you really need to be churning out yards and points, and that's just not happening. And obviously there's been some Calvin Ridley drops, some Zay Jones drops, things that have impacted the efficiency and the production out of this offense. But you, you got to scheme some stuff easier because I've, I've seen some of these drops, and they're contested catches. You, you can't expect – a guy that always bring down contested catches. So do better as an offensive play caller, get these guys out in space and allow Trevor Lawrence to do what he does best because he can throw a damn good football. Like 
he can put it where he needs to be. He's graded out really well by a lot of people who do film grades. Um, and that's what we need to see as a turnaround here in the next couple of weeks. Otherwise, I think Doug Peterson uh, may be kind of seeing his way out the door if things continue this way. Yeah, Lawrence is a guy that both of us, I think, had as somebody that we need to keep an eye on for the MVP. And uh, so far through the season, it's been kind of disappointing on offense. Granted, week one was week one. That's whatever against the Colts. Week two, they play the Chiefs, best team in the league, just won a Super Bowl. Uh, but that was Chris Jones' first game back. And the, Ch the Chiefs' defense by no means is a top, like, three to five unit. So I would think that they muster more there. But, okay, we can call that a bad matchup. But then last week, just letting Houston dominate you like that, yep. like – I don't know. Some something's got to switch on offense. Like we need to get a little better there because the talk was this year, especially once Robinson comes back. I believe it's after next week. I think it's a four-game suspension. The talk was the offense needs to carry the team and be good enough, high octane enough to where the defense just needs to be average, right? Well, and they have been. They, like yeah. that that defense is average. Like they're they're doing their part, and that's where it's like Doug Peterson needs to hold up his end of this agreement. Right. Like the offense isn't propping up an average defense enough to be a team that we thought could be like the one or two seed. I don't remember exactly what we said there, but we both thought that they would win a lot of games. And so far one and two out the gate is just, it's not ideal, especially being one and one in the division. This was yep. a team that I thought would go like six and oh, five and one in the division, but a one and one start is not too great there. So I could understand Doug Peterson also kind of having the fire lit underneath him, but I think he's a bit safer than the other guys on the list. Oh, absolutely. He just came off a uh, playoff appearance, winning a, a home playoff game. Like, I'm not saying he's going to get fired at the end of this year. It's just one of those things that he needs to start turning around this ship sooner rather than later. Fair um, enough. Best performances. This will turn into an MVP watch next week. But a guy who's a front runner, uh, he's been on this list already once this year. It's Tua. Uh, Tua and the Dolphins. Um, I I'm not going to obviously highlight the 70 point thing. We're, we're beating a dead horse there. Just what they're doing on offense is insane. I, I think the one Dan Orlovsky has broken down, other film analysts have. It, tight end moves out. I highlighted this earlier. Tight end moves out. He does a little like, like hesitation to that side. You see the linebacker immediately bite, and then he throws it right behind him, like in the same motion. Like that kind of stuff is kind of crazy. And it's, it's cool and fun to watch from Tua. And Jalen Waddle was out. That's the thing. I think Teron Armstead was out week one. Jalen Waddle's out week three. And Tua's still just lighting defenses up. So, again, we've talked about it. Uh, they're, they're actually on this list. But the Bills' defense against Tua, that is the matchup to watch. But there is another defensive player we want to highlight. It's Miles Garrett. He had three and a half sacks. And despite the terrible quarterback play from Deshaun Watson – they're winning games by pretty substantial margins. Yeah, Miles Garrett looks every bit of defensive player of the year right now to me. I think, uh, I don't know if it's him or TJ Watt that's leading in sacks. Maybe they're tied. But uh, he's just been dominant all throughout the year. Dominated against the Bengals and now against the Titans. A game where I think we both had the Titans winning. Uh, they come out there and they play a really gritty game with Jim Schwartz calling the defense and they get the win. And like you're saying, Watson clearly hasn't returned to the form where we saw him like five years ago at the Texans. And so it's this defense that's really driving the Browns to wins and Garrett's uh, Garrett's the, I guess the driver there. What was crazy. And I should have factored this in kind of the defensive line versus the Titans horrendous offensive line that that was going to be a mismatch right out of the gate. 
but we watched Miles Garrett. Like we, everybody wants to talk about offensive motion, and we watched Miles Garrett motion across from the left to the right. And what is it the tight ends, uh, Titans offense do? They motion two tight ends to follow this dude. I think they yeah, get like a delay that. a game. Like it's mm-hmm. it's wild that like you're trying to stop this guy and you can't even get lined up to like stop him. Like that's that's insane. It is what it is. And th- I think exactly like you said, he is the defensive player of the year front runner. He's on the best defense right now, and he's the best player on that defense. Well, I mean, you saw what he was doing, like doing the Allen Iverson crossover against the Bengals. Of course, oh of course they're going to be moving people to stay with him now. It's like he's just uh, he's wreaking havoc. He's crazy. Now, Keenan Allen, a guy who had a lot of injuries last year, looks to be back to form. Had over 200 receiving yards, two touchdowns, had a passing touchdown, and fueled their win over the Vikings. Like he was a big part of that. He's going to be a big part moving forward now that Mike Williams is out with the ACL injury. And so it's one of these things that you need him to continue being the superstar he is. And you need Herbert to keep being the superstar he is. If you want this offense to kind of take the next step with Kellen Moore and make a push in the AFC. So that was good to see. Uh, definitely probably better defenses than the Vikings coming up, but it was it was a very dominant performance start to finish. Yeah, something I saw in this offseason uh, from a lot of fantasy accounts is that uh, Kellen Moore is going to use Keenan Allen as a not possession receiver, but he's the go-to guy. Like anywhere on the field, Keenan Allen's the guy. Yep. And that showed this past week, even in the first two weeks that's been shown, he's the target guy. He's not as young or as spry as C.D. Lamb was, but he's somebody that they're using across the field to get easy completions and move the chains. And so far he's done that. And this week, like you're saying, he just went above and beyond and dominated the uh, the Vikings secondary. Absolutely. And when you have guys like Josh Palmer and Quentin Johnson on that offense that have a little bit more speed, that's that's where the defense has to kind of keep a guy or two back. And then you can do right. exactly like you said, funnel those targets through Keenan Allen because you you have a little bit more spacing to work with with how the defense is going to line up. Um, speaking of defense, the Bills defense is the other best performance. It, Washington, according to my model, a lot of other people picked them, thought that the commanders would cover. I, I, Sam Howell had been playing well. That offense looked good. Their defense had been playing well. And so you, you, you thought like, hey, maybe this is a trap game for the Bills. It wasn't. They, they came out completely dominated. I, I think there was like four interceptions. They had a fumble, uh, nine sacks. I, just start to finish. I, I think they kept them to like three points. It was like a 37 to three, like walloping. And so that was that was crazy to see. It's reminiscent of what we remember with Sean McDermott in Carolina. And he's justifying firing Leslie Frazier and taking the play calling duties. He is proving his worth, and it's it's fun to see. And it's making the AFC East that much more competitive. Yeah, like you said, Tua and the Dolphins' offense versus the Bills' defense is going to be the matchup of the week this week. I'm kind of disappointed that it's at 1 p.m., but uh, it should be the best 1 p.m. game other than the Panthers and Vikings, which is something <laughs> we got to talk about right now. Uh, like we said earlier, it's one of the two matchups of the 0-3 teams next it's week. It's a playoff game, bro. It is a playoff game. I believe the other 0-3 matchup is also at 1 p.m., so maybe we can get all those games on at once or something. I don't know. But uh, I think the Vikings are going to be an interesting test. Their offense is certainly better than what the Seahawks was from a passing standpoint. They have Justin Jefferson. They have Jordan Addison. They have K.J. Osborne and T.J. Hawkinson. 
all really strong weapons that I think are going to be a tough matchup against our batter defense. We don't have J.C. Horn. I don't know what C.J. Henderson's status is going to be. We don't know if Xavier Woods is going to be back. Uh, we don't know about um, Frankie Luvu, if his hip is going to hold up for this game. It's going to be a tough matchup, even if our defense is healthy. So that's going to be something to watch. And uh, I think if the injuries are sustained, or the injuries that we sustain versus the Seahawks linger throughout the season, it's going to be even worse down the line because it's not like it gets better. We get the Lions, which may not be as prolific as a passing offense, but they're a good offense as a whole. And then in two weeks, the team that scored 70 points, I will keep repeating it. I will keep beating the <laughs> The team that scored 70 points will be matched up against the Panthers. So it's going to be really interesting. Hopefully, I think this will be a good game for Bryce to come back because the Vikings defense also wasn't great. So hopefully this will be a good uh, litmus test for Bryce. But um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Absolutely. Um, going back to the inactives, I think if two out of the three guys that you talked about on defense, if CJ Henderson, Xavier Woods, Frankie Louvu, two out of those three guys, they're out. I, the Vikings are going to walk all over this defense. Like we, we will probably play very soft coverage just to make sure that stuff doesn't beat us over the top. But then Kirk Cousins is just going to have his way underneath. And like you said, you you list it off. You have the best wide receiver in the game in Justin Jefferson. You have one of the better tight ends in TJ Hawkinson. Jordan Addison, when he's had the ball in his hands, is absolutely electric. This is this is an offense that has been firing on all cylinders from like a point standpoint and a production standpoint all year. And I, I think that's not going to change any differently in Carolina. And so it comes down to, can our offense scheme something against this Brian Flores defense? And he's, he's brought some interesting looks. He brought a three safety look um, against the Eagles that then you saw Bill Belichick coffee against the Miami Dolphins. He's done some interesting things to kind of take away some of your strengths. So maybe he loads the box, maybe he blitzes a lot more to put pressure on the quarterback, whether that's Bryce or Andy Dalton. And it's just, it seems like it's one of those games where it could get really out of hand really fast. And I, I'm fingers crossed that it's a good game, but it's one of those things that the matchups are not looking good right now. Yeah, I think uh, this could be a high-scoring game on both ends, especially if we can get some something going on offense. I don't know. But uh, hopefully it's a good game. Kind of transitioning more towards the future. I know it's, it's only week three. We're going into week four. And it's kind of rough to talk about the future, but it doesn't look great for the Panthers this year. So we got to talk about the draft a little bit. Uh, this is a good wide receiver draft. And like I said last week, we had some excellent games in this past uh, college football slate. And a lot of these wide receivers showed out. Keon Coleman for FSU had an excellent game. Just an athletic freak. He's a transfer from Michigan State. Caught the game winner in overtime against Clemson. Uh, One-handed touchdown. He's really making a push for that wide receiver two behind Marvin Harrison Jr. I've talked about this guy already, Troy Franklin for Oregon. He kind of exposed that Colorado defense without Travis Hunter. He had, uh, I believe it was 215 yards and two touchdowns. Oregon had, they just ran all over Colorado, which I know a lot of us uh, Colorado truthers, Colorado fans as a whole didn't want to see, but uh, that's uh, that was just a rough game for them there. And then Malik Neighbors from LSU, I talked about him a couple weeks ago, dominant game from him. Marvin Harrison Jr., good game. Uh, Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, Texas, good game. Just good all around. For Panthers fans, like we, seeing how we need a receiver, this is a good class to need a receiver. I think probably 10-ish guys right now could end up with a first or second round grade as a receiver, which is crazy to think about. 
And then the other guy I wanted to highlight was Dallas Turner from Alabama. Edge rusher, he had two sacks, just finally showing his potential. He probably won't be there for us as Panther fans, but uh, it's nice to dream to get a good edge rusher to pair with Brian Burns. Hey, you never know what falls in the second round, and you don't know who's going to be a free agent or available to trade. If we are able to somehow acquire like a T. Higgins with a mm-hmm. maybe a future first, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's all going to play out, but it's one of those things. Maybe he falls to the second. We get him. Uh, we're able to trade Burns. Uh, who knows? It's just. We have so much dysfunction right now. Uh, Part of it's Federer, part of it's Reich. Uh, Just hopefully it comes together. We do have a couple perfect takes to end the episode. I think Washington, they did it last year in Philadelphia. I think think they do it again. I think they cover. I don't know if they'll win in Philadelphia, but I think they at least cover. The line's up like right around eight and a half, I believe. Um, And it's one of those games. Eagles are on a short week. They've not look like themselves the first three weeks, even though they are a 3-0 team. So it just seems like one of those division games that could be a little bit scrappier. And Sam Howell is kind of that guy where he can make big plays. He can hit Terry McLaurin. He can hit Jahan Dotson for those big explosive gains. And if you see some of that and Washington's defense is able to keep Hurts in check, this game could come down to the wire, which could be a lot of fun to see. Uh, We'll see if that comes to play. Uh, last week in the picks went 11 and five. I'm 30 and 18 on the season. So a little over 600 excited about that. And then uh, picks against the spread currently six, two and one. So we'll see if these hold up. What, what are some of the takes that you guys have or not? You have, uh, we don't have any guests. What, what do you have, Jake and Jacob? Uh, so for my take, the Detroit lions are favored to go into green Bay for the first time in decades. I think it goes back to 1966. My take is that they get the job done. They go into Green Bay. They beat the Packers, who got that nice. We could we call it a bit of a lucky win versus the Saints last week. I think the Lions get the job done and show that they're the class in the NFC North between these two teams and the two 0-3 teams, which are – I don't know if we thought they'd be 0-3 at this point, but it's kind of disappointing. And as far as uh, the pickums go, I don't know my exact against the spread score, but I do know that you were three games up on me, Steve. Uh, we were tied until last week. We had three games that were different, and all three of those games came down to the last play. Well, the Raiders and Steelers didn't come down to the last play, but he went for the field goal instead of the touchdown, so I'm going to count it. All three of them came down to the last play, but you got the better of me there. So I am three game, I'm 27-21, three games back. It probably means you're going to go up three games this week. We'll be tied again going in the week five, which will be fun. I will say what's interesting, and it's something that I think I highlighted a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Ravens-Bengals game, because from a spread standpoint, from a health standpoint, the Ravens did not seem favored going into Cincinnati in week two. And sure enough, they pull off the upset. They win the game by three. Uh, I think from a pick standpoint, I picked them. My model had the Bengals winning. But it's one of those things that after you have a bad loss the year before, which in their case, they had lost the wild card game against Cincinnati, the team and the coaching staff, a lot of times will try to show out like they, like they take some of this stuff personally, because that's what humans do. And so it's one of those things. What happened in the last week of the season last year, Detroit went in the Lambeau and they beat them, kept, kept Rogers out of the playoffs. Like they, they would have been in the playoffs had they won that game and they didn't. So with that in mind, it's one of those things, if Green Bay gets healthy, they get Bakhtiari, they get Aaron Jones, they get Jair Alexander, maybe Christian Watson plays. This this could be a Green Bay win, but like you said, uh, we're split on this. It's one of the splits that we have going into week four. We'll probably post our picks 
Uh, we'll post the Thursday game separately, um, but we usually are going to try to hold off until Friday, maybe Saturday, to post kind of our pickums just to hear all the injury reports and see who is actually playing this week. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that week four game. Absolutely. It should be a lot of fun games. Like we said, we got, I think, nine games in the one o'clock window. So Red Zone will be popping on Sunday. If you guys have any questions, shoot them to us at Perfect Takes on Twitter. Uh, we'll be happy to answer them next week. But for now, that's it.